So the goal of style isn't to always make a better composition right now, but to make a better writer long term. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, you recently did a master class webinar for our premium members. Yes, it was a good one. Yeah. And it was a little over an hour and a half. I felt <laughs> guilty, but people didn't start, you know, running and screaming out of the virtual webinar room, <laughs> right. at least as far as I could tell. Right. So I just kept going. Right. And I, and I loved the content so much that I thought, you know what, we should talk about this and share this information with our podcast listeners. And of course, we are not going to spend an hour and a half talking about this today. But shameless plug for becoming a premium member. Please become a premium member of our materials. And we've got all kinds of great benefits to that. The checklist generator, the complete teaching writing structure and style video course streaming, and of course, our master classes. And we have a dozen or so master class recordings as a part of our premium membership. Really? A dozen now? Mm -hmm. Or more. Yeah. And, and not to mention the the PDF of the whole book, however imperfectly. Oh, well, it's not a PDF. Oh. You actually get the actual book. You can order however imperfectly. You mean we mail it to people? We do. How much do we lose on that? <laughs> I mean, given shipping rates these days. Well, anyway. Well, okay, but they have to pay for shipping, so just say. I see. Okay, well, at least now I know a little bit more about our premium <laughs> subscriber benefits. This is good, Andrew. You should probably read all the wonderful benefits that are available to premium members. Maybe but I should become a premium subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> but we are getting a little off topic. The topic, of course, is advanced style, going beyond dress-ups. Right. So this assumes that listeners are familiar mm -hmm. with our teaching, writing, structure, and style syllabus. They've used it to some degree, perhaps with a theme-based book or the SSS videos. So the terms dress-ups, openers, decorations, and triples should be familiar to our audience right. today. Right. And I will just say teaching, writing, structure, that is the structural models, the units that we teach, everything from basic keyword outline all the way up to essay models and literary critiques. Those are the structural models. That's the structure. And then the style is the stylistic techniques of which we're going to talk about today, touching on what I call the classics the IEW classic styles that you can find on page 171 of your seminar workbook, a summary of all those stylistic The master list. A master list. There yeah. we are. Yes. And so let's just dive right in. Andrew, what's the purpose of our stylistic techniques? 
Why are we teaching these to our students? Well, you know, a lot of people, um, they start using that checklist and they think, oh, this has improved my student's writing. And often that happens. But sometimes people get into it and they say, boy, this sounds a little awkward um, trying to force in, you know, everything on this checklist. And, of course, over time, the checklist grows. Mm -hmm. It starts with one, and when that's easy, there's two, and when two is easy, there's three, and when three is easy, there's more. And uh, gradually, over a period of weeks, months, or years, depending on the age and aptitude of the students, they may get up to 11 or 12 things on a checklist. Right. And they might hit a point somewhere along that line where this is just feeling forced or awkward. And at that time, it's important for people to understand this concept. We don't teach the style techniques to make better writing. We're not looking at the product. We teach the stylistic techniques to make better writers, to equip them, to allow them to experiment with and over time become comfortable and hopefully be able to easily use all those techniques. But it does take time. Right. So the goal of style isn't to always make a better composition right now, but to make a better writer long term. And if you keep that vision, then as we you know, keep adding things or move into more advanced requirements, we're stretching the students for that purpose of you know, building the stylistic repertoire or the expressive muscle, if you will. Right. That's that's exactly what I'm hoping that every listener hears. If you didn't hear that, rewind it, listen to it again. Andrew, I know that you try to emphasize this, even in the structure and style for students. You know, our goal is not to have you run with weights, but the goal is to be, make you a stronger, metaphorically, a stronger runner so that when you take the weights off, you will be able to run fast. Right. And at some point, all students will wrap up their time right. with the IEW, uh, either because they grew up and went to college or university or uh, started working or doing something professionally. Uh, other times, you know, they will shift schools or move from a school to a homeschool or homeschool to a school or vice versa. And, you know, at that point, what they've got is what they've got, and they will use or not use as the circumstances allow. Right. So I'm going to just dive right in and talk about the classic ones, dress-up sentence openers, in particular, the advanced dress-ups and the advanced sentence openers, which actually replace the initial ones. Right. Well, yeah, the advanced dress-ups are... And this is a point of confusion that I have worked to clarify, mm -hmm. uh, not adding to the dress-up mm -hmm. checklist stuff. It's, mm -hmm. it's not making more dress-ups in a paragraph. It's saying, aha, instead of this kind of simple, do an L-Y adverb, do a strong verb, do a quality adjective, here's a way you can do that but a little bit more. Right. So we get, you want me to just launch in? And, yeah, please. Okay, so we've got the duals. Mm -hmm. Duals is when you would use two L-Y adverbs in one sentence, or you would use two verbs in a clause in a sentence, 
or you would use two adjectives to modify one noun. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting is that would replace then the strong verb and quality adjective. And if you look at the purpose of a strong verb, it's to create a more clear or uh, more powerful image or feeling. So you could say, he came into the room. That's probably not qualifying as a strong image or feeling, but he sneaked into the room, he leapt into the room, he uh, <laughs> crawled into the room, he sauntered into the room. You know, you, there'd be a whole lot of words you could possibly substitute for came in. But if you were to add a verb and say he came in and sat down, now you actually have a bigger image or feeling than just came in. So the dual verbs and the dual adjectives have that same effect. And it's just an idea and you practice it for a while. It doesn't mean you would do it forever in everything you write, but that idea of, hey, try it out. Right, exactly. So some of the other advanced stylistic techniques, advanced dress-ups in particular, might be the teeter-totter. Do you want to take a minute to talk about that? Sure. They're kind of fun. And again, this isn't a, an additional dress-up. It's the specific use of two dress-ups in one sentence mm -hmm. to create a particular grammatical construction. Uh, so an adverb teeter-totter would use two ly adverbs plus an adverb clause, which is most often created by the words when, while, where, as, since, if, although, whereas, unless, or because. Mm -hmm. And there are a few others, but that's that basic list. And the kids often memorize that, what off is called by some the www.asia, and perhaps they add in the dot wub. wub. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, he quietly but carefully finished the project as... And then you can add something else to the picture there uh, as his mother looked on approvingly. So you get that, that added image or feeling. There, there's added complexity. An adjective teeter-totter is, is actually a little more flexible. You would use two adjectives with one noun, and then on the other side of the noun would be an adjective clause, which is most often created by the words who or which. So I found the confused, bedraggled puppy, which made a perfect birthday gift for my wife. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't prepared these. We, we have better examples in the seminar work. Well, I can just course. see you showing up with a bedraggled puppy and giving it to your wife. Never in a million years yes, would you do but, that. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm Trying well, to feel positive and altruistic <laughs> and and not so hungry at the moment, but yeah, I you know he uh, I brought her, and then it can also be you know it could be either the subject of the thing, mm. uh, the lost bedraggled puppy which I found in the park made a perfect birthday gift for my wife. Mm -hmm. That would be the subject, or you could make it the object. I brought her a steaming cinnamon-laced latte, uh -huh. which 
made her very happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you just think about the two adjectives and then using the which. So this isn't an additional technique. This would be one sentence where you get to check off the idea of strong verb slash dual verb and who which clause. So you would check off two techniques for one advanced dress-up. Right. Okay, so if you are not familiar with our stylistic techniques, I know that we probably blew right by you and left you in the dust. But if you are, you understand that really important concept, one replaces the other. And most importantly, you're running with weights. You're teaching your students to increase their vocabulary, to vary their sentence structure, and that's good writing. Now, moving beyond what's in the seminar workbook, we get in this category of schemes and tropes. And we talk about this, actually, listener, we've got a secret project we're working on that should come out in 2023. And we will be introducing these more advanced stylistic techniques in there, specifically the schemes and tropes. Yeah, so I have taught uh, occasionally This idea of advanced style with some of the literary devices that are often termed schemes and tropes or maybe figures of speech. In the high school essay intensive, which uh, was a a class I ran around and taught live, uh, once upon a time when colleges had things like application essays and (laughs) the SAT and ACT had essays attached to them. This is not uh, quite as needed, Mm -hmm. perhaps, as in the past. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have recorded a product that will someday (laughs) be available where these are unpacked more fully. But uh, So the term in classical rhetoric, schemes, applies to those things which appeal to the senses. Mm -hmm. In other words, it sounds nice, whereas tropes are those things which appeal to the imagination. Sometimes schemes are called figures of speech and tropes are called figures of thought. Oh, okay. Although sometimes figures of speech is a more general term that includes both schemes and tropes. Okay. <laughs> and this, you know, short list that I have here is by no means exhaustive. In fact, it's a very, very short list if you look at the complete repertoire of rhetoric devices in classical rhetoric. And uh, you can, of course, do a web search for figures of speech. You can buy any number of books from Amazon or other favored booksellers with titles such as figures of speech. <laughs> okay. uh, so there's really no limit to these things. Right. And at some point, it becomes so complex and obscure that it's hard to really understand what's even the difference between these things. Right. But, uh, we've got um, about five of each that we can mention. Uh, the first one is kind of already embedded in our stylistic techniques, and that would be triples. Right. Yep. Uh, we have the whole category of triple mm-hmm. um what we call extensions, but you can really do three of anything, right? You could do word repeat using the same word three times in a sentence or in successive sentences. You could use a triple prepositional phrase. You could use a triple participle or 
kind of an ing opener three times. You certainly could use uh, triple nouns, triple adjectives, triple verbs, triple uh, adverbs. The, the challenge of that is to find words that are not redundant right. in meaning mm -hmm. so that if you're going to use three adjectives, be sure that there are three that add to the, the picture, the feeling, not duplicating one another. That's the challenge. Uh, so really any of the dress-ups or openers can be tripled mm -hmm. to make that particular approach. And then even in the decorations, we have the three SSS, yep. the three short staccato sentences. Uh, so there's something about triples that just appeal to us. Mm -hmm. It goes way back. Uh, you find them in ancient Latin and Greek mm -hmm. and other languages. Uh, so there's something we like as humans about this rhythm of three. Mm -hmm. um, another technique uh, would be parallelism where you – you have constructions that use the same grammatical structure and juxtapose meaning quite nicely. And so, um, you know, one of the most common examples of parallelism is probably most people have heard this one. Give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime mm. or some variant on sure, that. Sure. So you see that it's got the parallel grammatical structure, and then the words themselves, give versus teach, man, man, fish, fish, eat, eat, day, lifetime. I see. Yep. And so there are um, you know, many great options. In fact, if, if any of our listeners want to get more examples of any of these techniques, I actually recommend Wikipedia. Oh, because if you just go to Wikipedia and you you look for the entry on parallelism, um, there are many uh, examples from great literature through history. So if you're going to teach it, the best way is to teach it with examples, and so uh, they're readily available. Great. Another technique that we use uh, or can teach is this idea of repeating the word at the end of a sentence, right? Um, this is known as epistrophe. Okay. And uh, one of the listeners to the premium webinar masterclass master uh, helped this by okay. saying epistrophe starts with E like end. Oh, okay. So you can remember if you're repeating a, a word or a phrase or a clause uh, at the end of clauses or successive sentences, then that works. Um, probably the most famous example there is uh, Lincoln saying that this government of the people, by the people, and for the people, or he didn't say and, of the people, by the people, for the people, mm -hmm. uh, shall not perish from the earth or something like that. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. uh, use of the triple prepositional phrase with the word repeat mm -hmm. is kind of a triple, but it would also probably be um, – listed as an example of epistrophe. Got it, yep. The opposite of epistrophe is anaphora. Okay. Uh, this word may be familiar to Eastern Christians because there's a part of the liturgy mm. called the anaphora. Mm. But in our use, this would be repeating the thing at the beginning of sentences or clauses or phrases. So, so the mnemonic 
A, a is the first letter of the alphabet. Got it. So A at the beginning, E at the end, anaphora, epistrophe. Probably one of the best examples of this is from Dickens, the first mm. the first uh, couple sentences of A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of dark. And he just goes this. It was, it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was. And there's debate about whether you say epoch or epic. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to argue that. <laughs> you can go figure it out, have your own opinion, and carry it to your grave. I don't tomato, wanna, tomato. I don't want to fight mm -hmm. about it. And then he actually continues and starts four more sentences after this, I believe, with we were, we were, we were, we were. Mm. Now, you have to be like Dickens to get away with that level of repetition, but <laughs> it also would qualify a little bit as parallel construction oh, sure. there too. Right. So oftentimes these devices can be labeled differently or they overlap. Mm -hmm. If you were to use epistrophe and anaphora at the same time, okay. uh, you would get what is called simplicity. And that's S-Y-M-P-L-O-C-E. That's the way I believe it's pronounced. But again, people could argue. Um, so it's kind of the combination there. Uh, so here would be an example from Chesterton, oh. one of his statements in the book Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. The madman is not the man who has lost his reason. The madman is the man who has lost everything except his reason. Oh, got it. So right. the sense. madman... Lost reason, the madman lost reason. Mm -hmm. And then the difference there is except. So um, there are great examples from famous speeches. Um, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream, that would be your anaphora. He, yep. he used that seven times. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we now call it Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> So those are some of the schemes that can be learned. Now, the tropes are those things that appeal to the imagination. Mm -hmm. We start with that again in our decorations. Oh, okay. So we have simile and metaphor. Right. Uh, alliteration would be a scheme. Okay. We didn't mention it now, but that's on our decoration list mm -hmm. in the TWSS, along with simile and metaphor. Uh, so uh, expanding your list of uh, tropes you might want to try would be uh, synecdoche. Okay. That's where you substitute the part for the whole or the whole for the part. And so, you know, expressions that have made their way into our language as idioms, such as all hands on deck. Oh, sure. The hands doesn't refer to just the hands. <laughs> you want... All the sailors, or even in a business, everyone in the office, we right. need you now, right? right? That kind of feeling. Um, possibly the most famous example is from uh, Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. Yep. Mark Anthony addresses um, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Mm -hmm. And so he's not saying, you know, throw me your ears specifically, <laughs> but give me your your mind, your attention. Mm -hmm. So synecdoche is a good one. Um, hyperbole simply means exaggeration. And, you know, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be careful with 
schemes and tropes that you don't use cliched ones. Oh, sure. The, the better ones are ones that have a fresh mm-hmm. kind of original feeling to them. Uh, and you have to be a little bit careful with that exaggeration of hyperbole lest it become um, kind of absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, we also uh, can take the idea of personification mm-hmm. – which isn't on our decoration checklist, although it certainly could be, and that's when you address a non-human thing with human qualities. Sure. Um, you know, my credit card whispered, you know, <laughs> you can have this. I'm here for you. And then um, apostrophe is when you take that almost one step further and you start talking back to okay. the non-existent, non-human thing. Right. Uh, now, apostrophe is also a word that we use in grammar. Sure. And I don't know how that word got a double meaning, double application, um, but it is spelled the same way. Mm-hmm. So if you start talking to your credit card saying, get thee behind me, O evil plastic one, right. you know, and then you're using an illusion, which would oh. be another trope. Okay. Which is you allude to or make a reference to something that most people are familiar with, either from literature or history. So many allusions in English we just take for granted come from the Bible. Oh, sure. Uh, get thee behind me, oh yeah, Satan. Yeah, you just said. <laughs> you know, uh, so anytime you say get thee behind me, you're making an allusion to mm-hmm. the translation of Scripture that uses that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would probably be implying that whatever follows the get thee behind me is an equivalent of uh, Satan or a satanic phenomena mm-hmm. or, or something really evil that you just don't like a lot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, get thee behind me, oh, eggplant dish of <laughs> bad taste. <laughs> Take a personification and extend it far, particularly if you're working with animals, you would get anthropomorphism where you're giving human qualities to non-human characters. So a lot of Aesop fables uh, fall into that category of anthropomorphism. And then uh, one of the probably harder uh, of the literary devices for kids to use is irony. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're basically saying one thing by saying the opposite mm-hmm. and and you get this cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. with irony. Uh, Mark Twain, I think, was probably the uh, acknowledged master of irony in literature. And uh, I, I know one example, I think from Huck Finn, um, Tom says to Huck, now if you'll just go back to the widow and be respectable – you can join my band of robbers. <laughs> right. Okay. Respectable and robbers. That's that's a kind of contradictory idea mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, I don't know if this is quite irony in the same sense. There might actually be another trope that gets the label. Um, but uh, Twain also said, uh, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it hundreds of times. Right. right? So... <laughs> You get that. So lots of tropes uh, that are available. Um, you know, I, I'm actually collecting up, I think, some of the most important allusions 
that students should be familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so many of them are from, like I said, ancient literature, mm -hmm. like Pandora's box, mm -hmm. uh, or from the Bible, you know, David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be extremely well-read in either, but it's handy to know those because they will pop up in current, you know, commentary or news reporting or podcasts Such and as ours, yes. <laughs> conference talks and things like that. So, Andrew, I know that we said we were going to devote a podcast to this, but I really, there's three more categories that I want to just touch on, and it might take us another 10 or 15 minutes. So what I'd like to do is just stop here and pick this up next week, and we can talk some more. And that way, listener, if you're just done with listening about our stylistic techniques, specifically more advanced stylistic techniques, you can just skip the next one. But if you're fascinated by this topic and want to hear more of some of the things that we have do touch on in some of our structure and style for students writing classes or this new product that's coming out in 2023, stay tuned and we'll talk more about advanced style next week. How's that sound, Andrew? That sounds like a good plan. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at iew.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.